This text is the text for this morning's sermon, the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning, as Pastor Tig has announced, is the gospel reading, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, Jesus' introduction to his very famous Sermon on the Mount. So today we celebrate All Saints Day, which actually happened on the 1st of November, celebrated here on this Sunday. It is a day set aside in the church's calendar as a day where we pause, we reflect, and we remember and celebrate all of the faithful departed, all of our loved ones who have died believing in Jesus, and to celebrate the sure and the certain hope of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting in a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I am right in the middle of a book entitled Surprised by Hope that observes something and affirms something that I have seen over and over again in my short 35 years of being a pastor. And that is this, it is the fact that most people, including many Christians attending church on a regular basis, do not really know, or at least perhaps have lost sight of what the Bible actually teaches about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting in a new heaven and a new earth. And so as we try to find an entry point into our text, uh, Jesus' introduction to his famous Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, I want to begin by reminding you, by trying to teach you again, what the Bible says about life after death. So first of all, let us say unequivocally, With those of you who have experienced it in your own family or with a close friends already know, death, even even if it's the end of suffering here and now, even if it is the entrance into what God has in store for us next, death is not good. 
Death is not normal. Death is not a friend that we should embrace. Death is not what we were originally created to ever experience. Death is an enemy that Jesus came into the world to defeat once and for all. And it is only this sure and this certain hope of the resurrection of the body that allows followers of Jesus to face the grim reality of death and not grieve like the rest of those who have no hope. Look, the Bible really doesn't tell us a lot about what happens at the actual moment of death, of our physical body dying. But it gives us some pretty strong and comforting clues. Perhaps the one that we hold on to the dearest is when Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today, not tomorrow, not a thousand years from now, today, you will be with me in paradise. And so from that, we confidently conclude that at the moment of death, there is a separation of the physical body from the eternal soul, which is the essence of an individual's identity and personality. And that soul goes immediately into paradise, into heaven, if you will, into the very presence of God. And although we are always immensely curious about what the souls of our loved ones and our friends are experiencing in that paradise, in heaven, right now, that is in God's glorious presence. The Bible doesn't really tell us. What we can be certain of is that they are safe and that they are satisfied even though they have not yet reached the fullness of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting that still awaits. Revelation chapter 14 verse 13, one of Jesus' followers named John wrote these words, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, which inspired the hymn that we just sang. But that's not the end of the story. Because there is still an even greater and more glorious reality to embrace. There is still more life to come after that disembodied life after death. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the living proof of what God intends and will do for his whole creation. For this planet, for this world, for this universe. The Bible incredibly teaches that it is not God's plan to take us away from here, to go float around in space somewhere, but rather for Him to re-enter this world and to restore His good creation. And that good creation is simply called the new heaven and the new earth. Therefore, when Jesus comes again, 
The bodies of all the saints who from their labor rest will be raised back to life. They will be reunited with their souls. That is the core identity of their personality restored to them in a new and glorified resurrected body. And those who are still alive will be changed. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised, and those who are still alive will be changed from mortal, that is, dying, from perishable to imperishable, from dying to never dying. God is in the process right now of driving all human history to that grand and glorious finale. And I need you to put that picture in your head with me now as we step into the world of our text to discover that you have been blessed by God in order to be a blessing to the world around you. And to be blessed is the most comforting, the most challenging, the most thrilling life that you can ever imagine. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he began and taught them, saying. Now, first, we will have to remember that the word blessed in our English language has become a trivialized word, almost a throwaway word that is spoken meaninglessly when someone sneezes. Bless you. Or even condescendingly in some cultures when someone does something a little bit odd. Bless their heart. So please will you make a note again this morning that to be blessed in the Bible is to experience the deep satisfaction of all that it means to be human and nine times Jesus repeats it in our text. The entry point into this blessed life is to be poor in spirit. And to be poor in spirit is nothing less than being emptied out of anything and everything that you and I like to cling to as our source of value as a human being. It is saying to yourself every day, today I am who God says I am. I'm certainly not any more than that as if I could add something to it but never ever anything less than that as if what I've done or what anyone else has done to me could take it away. To be poor in spirit is to rest solely and completely on who Jesus is and what he has done for you on the cross. It's called faith. And when you receive that first blessing of being poor in spirit, by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, you now enter into the kingdom of heaven, which we have been saying for years around here is the world put right, starting right now through faith in Jesus 
until He comes again and makes it permanent. And when you have entered in, you will find yourself mourning. You'll find yourself sad because of the brokenness that continues to plague your own thoughts, your own words, your own actions, your attitudes. And then further, you will find yourself looking around at the world from the perspective of our future glory, which I've tried to describe to you this morning, and you'll feel your heart break at what's happening in places like Russia and Ukraine, in Israel and Gaza, in Lewiston, Maine, in our own communities. Now, there is comfort that we receive now when we get little fleeting glimpses of goodness that occur when you and I refuse to despair, when we offer up our resources, our volunteer labor, our influence, our finances, our expertise to make even a small difference in our little corner of the world. But there will be a final comfort when Jesus comes in glory. Look, to be meek is not to be weak. In fact, it is the strength to be able to stand firm in what is truthfully a very frightening world. Jesus was at his meekest when he was dying on the cross, where he gritted his teeth, where he declared, not my will, but thine be done. And then he died not cursing, but blessing those who killed him. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Meekness? Meekness is the spiritual gift of self-control. Meekness is the confidence of knowing that there is nothing in all creation that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and knowing that the earth and the heaven will one day come back together and the earth we inherit will be the restored earth with God permanently present in it with us. And that, in turn, makes us hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is, for the world to be more and more put right. Right now, by bringing people to know and believe and experience Jesus in their lives. Look, we are not just sitting around twiddling our thumbs waiting for Jesus to come back. No, we are boldly and fearlessly advancing the kingdom right now. And our future satisfaction will be complete, even if it is often fleeting in this moment. Look, if the first four blessings usher us into the life of the kingdom of heaven, the next four show us that we are blessed to be a blessing in the world in which we now find ourselves. Mercy is when you don't get what you rightly deserve. But mercy is not a blind tolerance to the evil that's going on all around us. Mercy is when you surrender your superior attitude toward others as if your sins are not as serious as theirs. Mercy is what allows you to be able to come alongside a fellow human being with the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. 
Mercy starts in your awakened heart with an attitude of curiosity that that works itself out in your tone of voice, in your body language, in your willingness to act, to assist, to be generous. Mercy starts grocery stores like Goods and Grace. Mercy helps women in need of support during pregnancy at Redeeming Life Outreach. Mercy volunteers at the Orange Academy in Bithlow or at the Samaritan's Resource down on Highway 50 in Orlando. Mercy keeps an eye out for what the neighbor needs and seeks to meet that need. People, we are blessed in order to be a blessing by being pure in heart. That is, by having a heart that has been awakened again and again to the power of life in Christ. A pure heart is a heart that rests continuously in the forgiveness that is yours in Jesus. A pure heart trusts that the kingdom is coming even when your life is going sideways and feels out of control. To be pure in heart is a daily discipline of remembering your baptism, of reading God's Word and talking back to Him with prayer, of receiving the Lord's Supper, of talking about your faith with fellow followers of Jesus. And the more you do these things, the more you will come to see God. In the James Cameron movie, Avatar... the alien inhabitants of a planet ironically named Pandora are able to connect with each other on a deep heart level, and when they do so, they say, I see you. Look, as you spend time with God, your heart is cleansed, made pure, by Jesus' blood shed for you on the cross, people, and you will see God. Peacemaking begins with bringing the message of Jesus' death and resurrection so that others can receive the grace and the peace that we have in Him. Through faith in Jesus, we have peace with God, and that gives us wisdom and courage to be peacemakers in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, in our communities. Not peace fakers that pretend like nothing is wrong. Not peace breakers trying to bully people into behaving better. (laughs) And what will you get for all of that? Well, I want you to notice how brutally honest Jesus is. Because it will not bring utopia. When I say from this pulpit that believing in Jesus brings the kingdom of God, the world put right, right now by faith, into our little corner of the world, I by no means mean that we are going to be able to achieve perfect peace and harmony in the here and now. No, in fact, how did Jesus put it? I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. 
(laughs) That sword is what he got on the cross. And he clearly taught his followers that we can expect no less as we seek to live out the blessings being poured out on us again today. Now, I think we all know or we have at least heard the theory that following Jesus will involve our suffering. Yet if all we are trying to do is make the world a better place or hang on until we die or can get out of here, we will forget that it's actually through suffering, through Jesus' suffering, that the rescuing love of God is poured out into the world. I read this recently, and it made me sit up straighter. The second century church father, Tertullian, famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Suffering or even dying for faith is not simply a necessary evil, inevitable for those who follow Jesus in a way that the world sees as dangerously subversive. Suffering and dying is the way by which the world is changed. The same author continued, those of us for whom a visit to the dentist is about as much pain as we normally experience in a month, and who confidently expect to worship and to study Scripture without any threats from either the authorities or hostile local groups find it almost impossible to imagine being in such a position. Now, whether or not any of us will ever face violence or death for our faith, I can't say. But I can say that because Jesus says it, that the way we face that suffering, even death, will be the most powerful witness, which is what the word martyr means. It means witness. And so look, we go back into our week. We're blessed to be a blessing. Look, whatever may come, perhaps it's going to be the best week ever. I pray so but able to suffer, even to die, because we know the victory over death and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting in the new heaven and the new earth that awaits us, and we have that victory. Blessed to to be a blessing. Amen. Now the peace that passes all human understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in this true faith, the life everlasting Amen. We've been giving you a weekly awakening question, and here's one for this week based on the message. How will you use Jesus' blessings to bless someone else this week? How will you use Jesus' blessings to bless someone else this week?